1: There you go. That was good. Yes. Stomps, stomps, stomps.
2: <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows
0: of Berea. Andy, did you uh, did you read all those texts from oh, that?
1: No, I have to. I will. So I will. you
0: don't know what's going on, like you.
1: Oh, so, oh, from the 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 girl that from Fayetteville that used that that's like. I don't want to think Jesus isn't coming back. That one, yeah, yeah. That no, one. Did yeah, you see you, that one? You kind of you you sort of told her because Santa Claus doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is this is the responsibility of being an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> is uh, is uh, deciding that sometimes you're just like yeah, Santa Claus, go get her. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: honestly, I had um, when I first read the message that came across the borough of Berea's, uh, the Burroughs of Berea message page, um, I didn't know how to take it, you know, because like Holly said, she's like, I think she's being funny. And I was like, well, I, you know, I got to be careful. I don't want to say something, you know, I don't I'm like, I'm not out here to try to offend and hurt people's feelings. You know, I'm, we're just talking about the Bible, you know, like I'm not a preacher. I'm not going to come at you and start throwing the book at you, you know, <laughs> like we're just studying and talking and, but I'm sitting there reading this message and I was like, huh, so I, I said, if I just responded and said, look, you know, I'm not trying to crush all your hopes and dreams, you know, like, yeah. cause that's one of the things that she said, you know, was like, thanks for crushing my hopes and dreams. And I was like, look, I'm not trying to do that. But the part where you said making you think that is what we're trying to do, that's a good thing. Let's have a civil discourse via email and we've actually had a lot of email exchanges it's been pretty cool oh good she good. was actually being funny she oh, was, was she, she oh. was saying that oh okay that um
1: see i i couldn't tell either from, i know it's what, hard what yeah
0: yeah it's hard it, it, in text you know things get lost in text that's why i don't try to have a very like serious conversation via text like it's not gonna work you well, know yeah
1: you can't read people
0: you oh, just no. can't yeah and so i was trying to be careful and and, and she actually responded we've had a good uh, i'm sending her a couple of mugs out i've got them at, i gotta ship them out i still haven't but um Uh, I'm getting ready to send them out to her. And, uh, she is, uh, yeah, she, she's a person that studies the Bible, you know, pretty thoroughly. And she is one of those people that believe in the second coming and all of the things that are going to be happening, you know. Mm -hmm. And with everything that's going on in Ukraine right now, I can't wait to see what comes out because it's coming. You know, they're going to start talking about Gog and Magog and Revelation. And here it comes. Next thing you know, he's going to turn to Israel. Get ready. And when you hear it in the news, I'm going to read them here. Like I'm going to show you guys that this is the stuff that comes out. And, um, but she she was basically saying that she wasn't aware of all of the things that actually happened during the destruction of Jerusalem and the oh, temple so, she didn't yeah, know. Yeah,
1: that's cool though so she got to learn a bunch of stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah. that's that's that was the whole point. It's like, well, have you ever considered a great tribulation of the past? Like is it possible that this happened? And
1: I think it's easy to not consider that.
0: Yeah, and, I think mm-hmm. it's easy to not. Yeah. Absolutely, you know? Very and, easy. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. if you're if you're taught like no, no, it's the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like this. And they give you a description that's, you know, it's not necessarily biblical, but it's what traditionally is thought of as heaven, you know? So anyway, but it's been pretty good. Like she's, it was, it was really nice. She's a nice lady. And uh, she, um, uh, I actually asked her if she would like to come up and give a testimony, like, I'll put you in a hotel. We'll bring you up here. And uh, she said that she'd rather do it Zoom, and she has to think about it. You know, okay. know everybody wants to get on the radio. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, and I get it. Or yeah, on, me too.
1: Know. I have to edit my own stuttering out. It's great.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love it. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and behind the glass is Rocket Man Andy Bishop. Thank you for doing the sound effect, bro. And then uh, we got Uncle AJ back in the studio. Hey, AJ. How's going, everybody? I'm so glad you're here we've been talking uh, AJ and I we work together and we were talking about um, supernatural things uh, in the Bible and AJ I'm gonna I'm gonna just ask you a couple of questions you know mm-hmm. and uh, I sort of I sort of gave preface this you know today with a few questions already so you'd know and you wouldn't be you know unprepared but um, what is your belief like we know say for instance Andy said that he's an atheist you know I'm a believer um, where do you fit in the gamut of belief
2: I guess I'd have to call myself non-denominational, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't really follow any set religion. It's, I believe in more of a personal relationship with your God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had a lot of issues, because I actually grew up in a church, mm-hmm. and growing up in a church close to it like that, there were a lot of crooked people in the church, so it's kind of made me question a lot about religion and churches specifically, but so I kind of have my own personal belief. I believe, yes, I believe there is a God. I believe there is a heaven and hell. Uh basically I just believe that you should just love and be nice to everybody. Mm-hmm. Your enemies, it doesn't matter. I mean, just try and leave this world a better place than what you came into it.
0: Yeah, the old Boy Scouts approach. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I get it. Um so, back to that part in the church, these are just questions, right? Yeah. I'm not debating. I'm just asking questions today, okay? So, um, when you were in church and you said there were some crooked people, like, the first thing I thought of was BTK killer. You remember BTK? Yeah.
1: yeah. Buying no, no, torture no. kill out in yeah. Kansas?
0: This, he was a deacon in his church, and whenever he was caught... Uh, he was actually, he had went underground for like 30 years, you know? Wow. He was killing people in the 70s and he went underground. It's like he quit doing it. But then uh, he decided to start talking to the police again. He started sending things to the media and all this. Yeah. And then he asked him, he was like, listen, if I send you a, you know, a three and a half inch floppy diskette, can you track me down? And the police were like, like internally, they were like absolutely. So they told him no. no. Yeah. <laughs> So, he sends it in, and guess where it comes from? It comes from a church. It was it was actually, all the stuff was written, photographs taken, all the stuff was taken in the basement of a church. He sends it out, you know, to the police. The police find him. Next thing you know, they arrest him within like a week. I mean, they bust him, and huh. finally, BTK was caught. He was a deacon of a church. So, yes, bad people go to church. Let's just be real. I mean, sure. good people you know, whatever. I yeah. mean, you know what I mean. Like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah There's course. good
0: and bad and everything. Yeah, in it doesn't seem to
1: doesn't seem to matter a lot. No, uh, I, for the quality of the person necessarily.
0: Exactly. So, but as far as like crooked people in the church, like, um can you give me a any kind of an example and well, then how that changed you? Really good one. Like, for example, like uh when I was very young, don't church, name
2: names though. Okay, <laughs> our, <laughs> church, our church <laughs> actually burned down, and I can remember the pastor there. I'm not going to go into him, but. After our church burned down, we actually had service right on our front porch every Sunday. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was an assistant pastor, but as soon as service was done, we'd have thirty winos lined up out our front door because she was the town's bootlegger. Mm -hmm. And like that deacon from the same church, like I know for a fact now, looking back on it, I know it was a lot. It it was actually more prominent, but I know. Mm For a fact that he actually slept with three of the deacons' wives Mm, while we were there. And this like all came out in the church. And and we find out that deacons were, you know, taking money from the offering and things like that. And just watching that over the years in multiple churches has just it it makes me question
0: any church that I go into. Mm -hmm. Can you separate the Bible from those churches. Oh, yes. Yes. So if, so you can take the Bible on its own and read it for what it is and say, okay, just because these people did what they did doesn't mean that what's coming out of this book is necessarily like, it's obvious that they weren't following any of the principles (laughs) coming from the Bible. You know, that's obvious. Mm -hmm. But so it doesn't, um, so what is your relationship to the Bible? What do you think about that as a book? I think the Bible
2: was given to us as kind of a, how do I word this, a, a handbook mm-hmm. as for how to live your life, how to prosper, how to get to heaven, mm-hmm. in lack of better words, you know what I mean? It was basically a handbook on how to be a good person.
0: Yeah. And how about, um, and, and when i ask you this question i don't mean it in a negative yeah. it's just a question how how much time do you actually think you give to reading the bible let's say not much no no and then if you're not going to a church because you distrust the people mm-hmm. so you're not hearing anybody talk from it and you don't really pay it, you know you don't really read it so the the definitions that you're getting about God and about your life and all that stuff are coming from a lot of your life experience yes. and you figured it out right yes, yeah sir. totally and I find that to be true for most that was the, that was my case too is that everything that I knew about God was usually through my
1: experiences with people or the church through osmosis
0: that's right and it was it really wasn't the Bible itself it was what people said about the Bible or the traditions that people followed because they said it was from the Bible that may or may not be in the Bible, you know, and so that's why I started on that path of like, all right, I'm gonna read this thing. Like, let's see
1: what it says. You know, I just wanted to see, and it was it is so a, confusing. Man. It's a convoluted trip that wow, book. Um, that, that book, a twisted journey. That it has
2: is, been my issue every time I sat down and I try to read it myself. Yes, it confuses me.
1: Yes, and
0: whenever you if you tell a preacher that you say, you know, it confuses me, they'll say, well, God's not the author of confusion. That's the devil. I've actually been told that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, so have I. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we all know that. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, I know that Satan is the author of confusion. And in your mind, you're thinking, well, if I'm coming into this holy book and then Satan's going to cloud my mind, I'm not going to get what I need, so I'm confused. It's like, then throw the book out the door. Like, I, you know, yeah. I don't need that in my <laughs> life. You see what I mean? Like, I get that. So we're all, we all come from these experiences in our lives and our approach to this book, and you have to admit that book has impacted this entire world sure, forever in a big way. And so it's a part of our life, you know, like I said earlier, which, you know, I don't know if you guys heard it earlier, but we were talking earlier about how, um, you know, the things going on in Ukraine right now there, as soon as, uh, you know, Putin put those troops in Ukraine, about a thousand preachers jumped down and like opened up revelation and started (laughs) trying to find it. Like, okay, where does this fit?
1: Yeah. Anytime, anytime there's a, a war of consequence in the modern era. People go look for that. Yeah.
0: yeah. And how many times have we said this on the podcast? You know, like every time something major happens, everybody starts, you know, it's the sign of the times. Here it comes, you know, wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff.
1: The viewpoint that makes you want that is, is weird to me. The viewpoint that's just like looking for the end of times at any turn, is a weird one to me.
0: It is a, it's a fearful thing. Um, I listen to a. Pod- Is it
1: fearful? It, it's yes. Not to me. To no, not me, to you. Like to me, it's like spiteful. It's like they're eager for the human experiment to be just cleansed with fire. Yeah. It doesn't feel like fear to me. It feels like like um, not quite hate, but well, know. think
0: about it from this perspective, though. You got to think about who. Okay, so you've got a group of people that are teaching these things. And then you got a group of people that aren't teaching, they're listening, and they're taking it in, and they're believing it to be true. So the ones that are teaching it, whether they believe it or not, their message is going out, and it's going to people like me or AJ, people that have never, that hadn't really put a lot of time into the Bible, that have been to church, but they believe in God, and then they start hearing these things, and they're like, okay, now that... Gog and Magog. You know, now that uh, you've got Russia going into Ukraine, it's only a matter of time before they start invading Israel. And when that happens, the Antichrist is going to be there. And then when that happens, the Church is going to be raptured out. And if you're not a part of the Church, you're going to be left behind. And then there's going to be seven years of horrible, horrible tribulation, and people are going to be dying and disappearing, and like it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. The people that are listening to that are getting terrified, and they're making decisions in faith based on the terror that they feel. And it actually continues to propagate this, this fear-mongering message. That's what happens. Yeah. It, and and so the people that are teaching it, again, if they're believing that and they're saying, I love people and I'm warning them, I want them to know Jesus, that's their perspective, it still drives fear into the people and their I, that's, decision.
1: That's true. I don't feel like that's where it comes from with a lot of those guys that are real eager about the end times. Though.
0: Right. Well, if you think about it, it's kind of mean. We've talked about that before. This, you know, If they believe the temple is going to be built, Well, the temple is going to be built. Well, then the antichrist is going to come, and then the temple is going to be destroyed, and then millions of people are going to die. Blood's going to be running through the streets. But hey, we don't have to worry about it because we're the church. We're gone. And they use that, you know. And so they. But why would you want to rush and hurry up to kill all of these Jews? Like we don't. I don't want that. Like according to what Jesus said, yeah, that in his time, the nation that killed him, the Son of God, were going to be judged because of what they did, but. He's, he didn't say that all Jewish people for all eternity need to be persecuted. We're not to be anti-Semitic. We're actually supposed to love the Jewish the nation. We're supposed to love the Jewish people, and we need to tell them he is... He's the Christ, he's the Messiah. That's what a Christian is supposed to do. Yeah. But instead it's like you have crazy anti-Semitic people yeah. and all. so all this stuff yeah, that, that's
1: it's a that's a weird, a weird thing, yes, how it many is. Christians are anti-Semitic. Not that a high percentage are, but there's Mel enough Gibson. of them. Look at that Mel That is like interesting. Yeah.
0: Mel Gibson hates the passion of the Christ, he gets arrested, and he says, It's all your fault, you Jew. Like he's just it's so mean and like, wow, you know. Anyway, so AJ, I think you and I have talked about, um, other than like the Bible, when it comes to the supernatural things in the world, I know you have like a a fascination, I don't know if it's a fascination or just an interest. Fascination. Fascination. So we're talking about things like uh, ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, Mm -hmm. like what what other things like? Ghosts,
2: you know, demons, uh, you know, spirits, because those are different. Yeah. Yeah. Anything supernatural like that? Talk, being able to talk to a you know a relative that's passed on, already. right? Okay. It's How about
0: aliens like, and stuff? Not so much. Not aliens, to- no. <laughs> Not so much on the aliens, man. <laughs> no. Yeah. Now, if you're talking about you know like Miss Cleo going back and you know and talking to the listen, you know this in the Bible. King Saul, right before he died. King Saul was trying to get to the prophet Samuel who had died, and he went and saw a witch in Endor, and she brought Samuel back from the dead, his spirit. And and it's actually Samuel that tells him, "Uh, you're going to be where I am. Yeah. And then it's like within a day or two, boom, King Saul's dead. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, if you go back, I think it was our Halloween episode. Go back and listen to that. Okay. We get really deep into it at the end. There's some brutal things, weird things in the Bible. So yeah, I mean, being able to conjure up spirits obviously is something that's in the Bible. You know, which is
1: yeah, especially Old Testament. The amount of like mysticism and stuff in the Old Testament is like shocking is the wrong word, but uh, but it's surprising definitely to me. Like, which is again why I feel like the the great creation of a uh, Christianity is uh, monotheism for the masses. Like that's what it looks like is happening between those two books. Is you're coming out of a a fully polytheistic world into not a fully poly monotheistic world, but into a predominant monotheist worldview, and that feels like a new thing. Mm -hmm. That so like that's the evolution that I see between those books. That's kind of an interesting. Thought evolution for humanity to me. I might be completely wrong. No, you're not. And that's
0: excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, your perception is right. I mean, because even according to the Bible, of course, I teach the divine counsel and the heavenly host and all these other beings and stuff that God created. Um, and I've talked about it, you know, uh, in the past on the in our uh, Origin of Satan and Divine Council five part series that you and I did. You know, I talked about those other gods, and that was pantheist. You know, there's so many other gods over other nations, and then ultimately that Christ would destroy all of them, and there would be the one true God. And you're yeah, right; you the picked up on
1: Christian God as we now know that's it. That's right; yeah.
0: you picked up on that, and so that's excellent. Yeah. So, you know how to read. I love it. <laughs> well, I, I know how to listen
1: occasionally, when, occasionally. I'm, not, when I'm not just getting distracted.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, um, I asked AJ before we came here, I was like, look, you know, I'm going to give you a list of all the miracles and what were there? Like 85,000? You know, yeah. like, how many <laughs> miracles are in the Bible? And I was like, pick a few and we'll talk about them. And so uh, he brought out the rod of Moses or the staff of Moses. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I decided, well, I'm gonna go ahead and start researching and trying to get ready, but I didn't want to write like a million notes. Like I just, you know, let's just talk about it. But so for you, just just to start with the rod of Moses, tell me what you know about it.
2: Just basically, well, the Ten Commandments scene from the movie. Yeah, yeah, basically what they show you there. Uh, learned a little bit this morning where the origin
0: of the staff actually thanks mm-hmm. to you.
2: Yeah, uh, but not much more after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, in the Ten Commandments, we see that um, Moses throws a staff down. Like We get introduced to the staff, and basically, here's what's going on. Moses is an Egyptian prince. Whenever he was a baby Hebrew, the pharaoh of the time determined to kill all of the male Hebrew children under the age of two, and Moses happened to be a newborn. And so, his mother... Gives the baby to his sister and puts him in what's called a bulrush or a basket and you know pushes him down the Nile to try to save the baby's life. And it just so happens it lands with the, of the sister of the Pharaoh and she takes the baby and pulls him out of the water and she adopts this child as her own huh. because she hadn't had children.
1: That's neat. I guess I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, so so this the sister of the Pharaoh has now adopted this child and Moses means to be drawn from water, that's what the name means.
1: Also very neat fact.
0: Yeah, so anyway, she takes care of him and um, goes and sends for a nurse, and so Moses' sister Miriam goes and gets his own mother and says they need a nurse, and so his own mother nurses her own child for the Pharaoh's sister. So unique. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's an
1: interesting story. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, so then... Uh, Moses gets raised as an Egyptian, you know, in the in this royalty, and he be- he's a prince. And as he gets older, he begins to see that his people who are enslaved by the Egyptians, it starts to hurt his heart. He starts to see like, oh, my people are in bondage. You know,
1: I wonder how did he discover he was a Jew? Did his, maybe his mom told you know it him it,
0: it, it doesn't say necessarily, but I think he recognizes it. Number one, and I think maybe his family did. And if it's in Exodus and I missed it, I'm sorry. I'm not sure exactly how he finds out.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, how different would the Jews of modern Egypt be from the... I mean, that old Egypt be from uh, from the pharaohs and stuff? Because they were... They'd been
0: with them for they, 400 years. Yeah. That's uh, a long time to assimilate. Right. Which is something that the Jewish people always have done. They assimilate in the nation that they're in. They 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 really... Kind of like become like what they're sure. around. It happened I mean, look in Germany. I mean, they were fully assimilated into Germany. Yeah. Now they didn't necessarily look like them. Yeah, but they they were fully assimilated,
1: and so I guess I mean it depends on uh what sect you're talking about of Judaism. But some of them are try real hard to you know to actually marry Jewish and stay yes uh, genetically Jewish in that way, and some obviously just do not. Does not matter at all to them, right?
0: Uh, and I, and I, I would say even if they were trying to stay true to their Jewish heritage, they still are assimilating into the societies that into the in. culture.
1: Absolutely, that's right. Hundred percent. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so I don't know exactly how he finds out, and I'm, it's probably in Scripture, and I just can't remember it. But it's in the Book of Exodus, probably before Chapter Four, somewhere is where you find that. So he sees one of his people getting beaten, and he becomes enraged. And Moses kills that man that's beaten his brethren, right? And he, out of fear, he runs from Egypt. He crosses this desert, and he's gone for 40 years, like he's escaped, right? And when he gets into the land, I think it's the land of Goshen, that's where he meets um, his wife, and he ends up getting married and having kids. He works for his father-in-law, who is a shepherd, and his name is Jethro. And so Moses becomes a shepherd out in the desert, you know? And Moses has got this staff, and he's walking around with this staff, as that which shepherds do. Um, it could have a hook, or it could just be like twisted up, but it's a staff, all right? So then he's walking around, and he goes up on the Mount of Sinai, and he sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. It's He just sees this. And I try to think of it in a science fiction way, yeah. you know, like what was glowing, <laughs> you know, but it said it was a burning bush, but the bush was not consumed. And Charlton Heston in Ten Commandments is like, I see a bush and it's burning, yet it is not consumed, you know, <laughs> so, to a <classic laughs> case of such, overacting. Good <laughs> yeah. Yeah. such good writing.
1: Yeah, such good writing. You know, there's actually like... <sighs> I don't know if this is, like, completely revisionist or not at all revisionist, but there's actually, like, the particular bush that he saw, the berries actually emit, like, an oil or something Mm -hmm. that is flammable, uh, but in a way that would not harm the bush. So, I once saw a program that claimed that that was technically a possible thing, if unlikely.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and that's I love those kind of shows, man. That yeah, like I, they show I actually you to, saw that exact same you? show too. Yeah, yeah did you? Yeah. It was great.
1: Uh-huh. I, I don't I don't I don't know how based in reality it really was, but it was fascinating, right?
0: Yeah, I like those when they're like they try to explain like when he crosses the Red Sea and like how how it happens. And I've yeah, got Yeah that's a,
1: the big one there. Yeah, that's your yeah, nice. big one. Yes. <laughs> remind
0: me if we get back to the Red Sea, please remind me of a joke because I've got one. It's a good one too, <laughs> man. It's a good one about the Red Sea, so don't let me forget. Um so M- Moses, when he gets to this bush, suddenly there's something speaking from this bush, and it tells him to take his shoes off because it's holy ground. And so he does, and then this God begins to communicate with man, with Moses. And at, during this discourse, he looks at him and says, what do you have in your hand? And he says, my staff. And he says, throws it, throw it on the ground. And so he throws it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. Oh, and yeah. so this is the first time, and Moses runs from it. Like, he's afraid, like, I would. Like, if I threw it yes. down and it became a snake, I'm like, I'm out.
1: You know, like... <laughs> what's r- what's wrong with the staff? <laughs> yeah, that, boy. That, that is a broken staff.
0: Yeah, I got bushes burning and staffs turning into snakes. Like, something's up, you know, but obviously there's some spiritual meaning behind what's going on here, but that's basically where we get introduced to this staff. Now, it's... It's commonly believed that the staff that Moses is using is also the staff that Aaron uses, and it becomes named the rod of God, or the staff.
1: No, without derailing things. Who's Aaron?
0: Aaron is his brother. Okay. And his brother is actually in captivity back in Egypt. Okay,
1: I didn't even know there was a brother in this Yeah, he doesn't know him at the time. Ah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so um, God tells Moses, okay, I want you to go back. Your people are enslaved. I want you to go back and help me get my people out of the land. We're gonna bring them back to a land that I promised. I promise that he made to Abraham that they would possess a land. And so Moses is going to be that person that God sends. And he says, like, look, I can't talk. Like I'm he stuttered. Like we think that Moses had a stutter and because he had anxiety and Mm -hmm. when he got in front of, you know, the Pharaoh, he'd be like, uh, you know, he wouldn't know what to do. So he's like, I can't speak, you know. And he tells him to use his brother, because Aaron can speak just fine. Oh. And so that's how Moses and Aaron together go in to talk to Pharaoh. And there's this sequence of events in Exodus where Moses and the Pharaoh are kind of like having a showdown, you know? And it's really wild because it first starts, they throw the staff down and it turns into the snake, right? Yeah. But then the magicians that are in Egypt, they do the same thing. They throw their staff down and become snakes, right? But then the snake that he had, eats all the other snakes so you get
1: the better the, snake the better snake you also understand that this that- so so the saying now is build a build a better snake staff and <laughs> and all of uh all of Judea will be to pass your door is that the- I
0: mean that could be like a scripture all to itself, right? Yeah. The quote, the andyisms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite andyism was, "And lo, they played the stickball." Do you remember that one? Oh, I do. Yeah, you you come up with some great ones because we were talking about the streaker in the Bible, you know. Oh yeah. And you were like, "And lo, he did go to the stickball stickball game, like he was running naked yeah. at the stickball game." <laughs> godaddy.com, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go BigDaddy you know. So anyway, that this showdown that's going on between Moses and Pharaoh, there's something unique about the staff that he has. This power of God is in this staff, and so when the plagues begin, and I don't know if you're familiar with this at all, the ten plagues, uh, he would Moses would go in and say let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, no, I'm not letting my people go. And then he'd go out and he'd he'd put his staff in the Nile River and bloop, here comes blood. Yeah. And then all the fish die and it smells rank and it's terrible. And then Moses goes in and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, his heart is hard. And then there's frogs and locusts. And
1: I mean, yeah. there's 10 plagues. It's bad. Let's just to say that. It's, it's a bad. lot of plagues. It's a lot of plagues. We just kind of had one that he wasn't even that bad, and it it was uh, two years. It of was derailment. terrible. We're still dealing <laughs> yeah. with it. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: So, are, are you familiar with all the stuff I'm talking? Yeah, about? Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. definitely seems like he knows more than me. So, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> but so then the final plague is something that is well known that the Jewish people celebrate even to this day, and it's Passover. Okay. And yeah, yeah. what it's in what it is in regard to is that the final plague is that the firstborn son of any man that doesn't have blood over their doorpost is going to be killed, right? And so all of the Egypt, you know, all their sons die, including the Pharaoh's son. And when that happens, Pharaoh lets the people go. And so here they here they go. All of these people are exiting out of Egypt and they're on their way heading to the promised land. And then it's not too long after that, that the Pharaoh is like... Uh, Nope, I want to keep my investment. I changed my mind. Let's go back and get our investment because how are we going to build these cities with Mm -hmm. all the slave labor? I ain't paying for it, so I'm going to get these guys back. So he pursues them, right? Mm -hmm. And so the next time that we see the staff is whenever the people, God God stands in a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day or a cloud, you know, and he's Mm -hmm. protecting the people and he kind of hones off this little area right next to the Red Sea, and the people are complaining, like, he's let us out of our homes, and now we're going to get killed, and this is awful. And um, Moses tells him, you know, get ready and watch this amazing thing that the Lord's going to do for you. And he takes the staff, and he puts it over the water, and the Red Sea splits. And it says that the people walked across it on dry ground not moist, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) dry ground. So that's a miracle. And so the people walk across the Red Sea, they get to the other side, kind of like the chicken on the road, they get to the other side. And then um, the, the, the fire cloud goes away and then the Egyptians start to pursue. They get to inside this wall of water and then God lets the sea wall fall and it drowns all of the Egyptians. And that's the end of the story for that part of it because then they're heading... Now the the uh, Hebrews have escaped. their They're out of bondage, and now they're alone in the desert, and they've got to head towards the promised land. And so um, I'm going to take a little aside, and I'm going to go ahead and tell my joke because I'm going to forgive my okay. Red Sea joke. <laughs> <All> so <right. laughs> there, was a, <clears throat> there was a teacher who was in a classroom, and he was saying that the things that were in the Bible were not true. It was all just fairy tale. And so he tells um, he tells the class, you know, like name one, tell me one miracle that I can't debunk for you. And so this little girl says, you know, God let the Hebrews go through the Red Sea. And he goes, actually, it's not Red Sea. It actually, now we understand it was called the Sea of Reeds. And what they found was a giant mountain under the water, and it was literally within six inches, and it was about eight feet wide, and that they could walk across this area all the way across the Sea of reeds. So, it's really not a miracle at all. And the little girl says, but it is a miracle. And he says, well, how's it a miracle? And she said, that all of Egypt's armies drowned in six inches of water. <laughs> <laughs> There's your joke. That's a cute one. So, anyway, um, we only see the staff a couple more times. Um, Basically, while the Hebrews are traveling through the wilderness, they get into places where they don't have food or water. And God provides manna from heaven. That's where we hear manna. It actually means... What is it?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, love, I love that. About yeah,
0: it. it means they look at it and they're like, what is this? <laughs> Mana, but it's bread from heaven. And then um, there's times when they don't have water and their faith being tested and God tells them to strike the rock, this rock. Okay. And I discovered in my research that this rock ap- happens to be one of 10 items that were made on the sixth day of creation, along with the staff. Yeah, and so I'm going to get into that here in a minute, but basically, this rock that there's they strike, there's water that comes from it, and they get water that way, you know? So there's, and there's other places where the staff is used, but uh, the one that I remember is that the staff, they call it the Staff of Aaron, it's the same one, was put into the Ark of the Covenant, and when they looked inside, they saw that the staff itself had buds on it, like it was gr- still growing, you know? It's kind of an interesting thing. Huh. But something that I learned that I did not know uh, that I wanted to share with the group here, if I can find it, is that... Have you ever heard of the Mishnah? Have you ever
1: heard this before? I've heard the word, but don't know what it means.
0: Yeah. So, Mishnah is the oral tradition of the Torah, which is the law of God. So, during the second temple time, the intertestamental period, what we call the pseudopigraphal time when they were writing those writings, Uh, The rabbis had an oral tradition, which was the oral law, and it's called the Mishnah, and uh, it was recorded. I think they recorded it sometime, I think it was the early 1900s, and actually wrote it down. I think it might be before that, but I think it was around that time. No, no, I'm sorry. Let me go back. It was in the uh, AD 200. Is when it was actually written down. They were, they were capturing all of the oral tradition and putting it in writing. So that's when it happened. Something happened unique in 1900, but I can't remember what it was. So let me uh, give you the definition of what this Mishnah is, and then we'll get to that rod of God. So it says the Mishnah, well, the Mishnah lists 14 things, 10 plus 3 plus 1, that seem to defy the laws of nature. And if anybody wants to Look this up. You can Google the name of Dr. Joshua Culp. That's a K-U-L-P. And he gives you all these descriptions if you if you care to look for them. They seem to defy the laws of nature. These are problematic because God is supposed to have created a world that acts upon the laws of nature. In order to solve this metaphysical problem, the Mishnah claims that these supernatural items were created for this very purpose during the six days of creation. So, supposedly on the sixth day of creation, these special unique items were made. It sounds like fantasy, you know, uh-huh. like the rings, you know, yeah. the rings that bind us. The you
1: one know. true stick.
0: The one- <laughs> <laughs> yes, the one true stick. So, they were created during this in-between time, right before creation ended at the end of the sixth day. These items are therefore part of God's ultimate plan, and they are not in essence supernatural. So then he gets into this. 10 things were created on the eve of the Sabbath at twilight and th- these are what they are. Number 1, the mouth of the earth. Number 2, the mouth of the well. Number 3, the mouth of the donkey. Number 4, the rainbow. Number 5, the five the manna. The what is it, right? Number 6, the staff of Moses. Number 7, the shamir. The shamir is that rock. That, that okay, you strike yeah. that gives water. Uh, the letters, uh, number nine, the writing, number 10, and the tablets. And some say also the demons, the grave of Moses, and the ram of Abraham, our father. And some say, and also tongs made with other tongs. So, I don't know, but that's what it, basically, so what it says. There's
1: a speaking donkey somewhere. That's what that refers to, the mouth of the donkey, right?
0: That's right. Okay, so, yeah. you, you picked up on that. Very yeah. good. So, it says right here, uh, the mouth of the earth. Um, was used to swallow Korah and, and uh, his congregation. You can find that in Numbers sixteen thirty-two. That's when they rebelled against Moses and the land swallowed them up. So that's the mouth of the earth. Uh, number two, the mouth of the well, that gave the children of Israel water in the desert. You can see that in Numbers 21, 16 through 18. The mouth of the donkey, that was opened up to speak to Balaam in Numbers 22. The rainbow, that was a sign that was given to Noah, for after the earth had been flooded and that God said he would never flood the earth again. And then the manna, you can find that in Exodus 16, 15. And then the staff of Moses, which we get introduced to in Exodus four that we just talked about, the Shamir, this was the strong stone that was used uh, to cut rocks for the breastplate and used during the first temple Uh, the letters are the shape of the letters used to write the Ten Commandments so if you remember when the Ten Commandments were written even in the movie remember God writes the first one like you see you know and it's in the rock and it, it this was the first time that those letters are appearing, and this is when God's writing. Oh, I never so, heard that oh, part. Really? Yeah, yeah. So that that's, is intru-
1: Yeah, no idea. That's neat.
0: Yeah. So that's where the letters come from. Mm-hmm. It's from that six-day creation. It's one of the special, unique things. It's their language. It's that's where it comes from. And you know, from the Mishnah. That's what the Mishnah teaches. Uh, the writing, according to legend, could be seen from all four sides of the tablets. Uh, and And the tablets. This refers to the first set of the tablets, the ones that were made. Pretty
1: pretty narrow on the ends, then.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was just see-through paper, but it was rock. No, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it works. Um, If we remember that um, after those tablets were made, they've been gone for a while. You know and Aaron's made a golden calf during this time, yeah. Mm-hmm. He comes down, and
1: oh, it, that's Aaron. Okay, so Aaron's that's the Aaron one that made the golden calf. His brother, calf. the oh, okay. priest, is the one that made the golden calf. He was an artisan of gold. I assume at that point that he was literally just scrambling to keep everything <laughs> together, and he's just like, I don't. F- no, let's build this calf. <laughs> Just get these people to not they're leave like, till he's Moses gone. comes you don't back. Want to worship
0: something, and yeah. uh, they're like, "What do you do?" And he's like, "Well, I can work with gold." And they're like, "Cool, make us a cow. Yeah, you know, that's
1: that's how I imagine that. Just like him scrambling <laughs> to get things to not completely fall apart while Moses is yeah, gone, because
2: everybody had to be scrambling at that. Well, point. Well, you know,
1: they're out in the middle yeah. of the desert.
0: You know, they don't, they don't know what to do. I mean, yeah. and they were a grumbling don't. people. I mean, they were a very yeah. grumbling and complaining people. <laughs> you know, true. anyway, they were. The Bible yeah. said yeah, that they were. Yeah, biblically they are. I'm not yeah. being anti-Semitic people. <laughs> it's in the Bible. No, it's, yeah, biblically, yeah. <laughs> biblically, they were a grumbling and complaining mm-hmm. people. And so, yeah, he probably was. He was like, all right. Well, that was his... You remember we talked about that because... You know, Moses comes back, he sees it, he takes the tablets and he throws them down and destroys them. And then, like, it does something to the water, and it's sour and bitter, and they're drinking this bitterness. And then uh he goes to Aaron and he's like, What is going on? Like, how did this calf get here? And Aaron was like, Well, the people were upset and they came to me and uh they brought me all this gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out popped a calf. Even though it says in the Bible that he fashioned that calf himself, you know? So, he's sort of like, and by the way, Aaron is the most, one of the, like the earliest first priest of God. That guy told Moses a lie, you know? Like, so, let's just, you know, people make mistakes. So, it's just, uh, so that, those 10 things that they're talking about, the staff of Moses
1: was one of them. Oh, that's neat. That's and interesting. Supposedly, that's interesting lore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I had never heard that, not one time. Never heard that.
1: Never heard that. Before, yeah. Today. So, um, I, I think it's just probably something that's more that uh that uh Judaism is more concerned with than Christianity. Probably one of those things. Right. Yeah. And uh,
0: it says here the rod used by Moses in performing his miracles was created during the twilight of the eve of the first Sabbath of creation from a branch of the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. On it were engraved the letters of the ineffable name, which means that's the Y-H-W-H or Yahweh, the name of God, the 10 plagues inflicted upon the Egyptians, and the patriarchs, matriarchs, and 12 tribes. So the people originally thought that the staff could engender only destruction, since through its agency, Moses had brought the plagues upon the Egyptians in Egypt and the Red Sea When, however, Moses used it to smite the rock at Horeb, they learned that the rod could also produce the blessings of water. With the rod, Moses smote and killed Sihon and Og. You can find that in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11 verse 10. He was also able to chastise the angel of death uh, with it. He, He was able to chastise the angel of death with it when the angel came to take him. So in other words, he was like, he could wave the staff at the angel of death, and the angel of death was like... That's another story
1: I've I know. Like, we don't know these things. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah.
0: So um, uh, in the next world, Moses was rewarded with the scepter, which God had employed in the creation of the world. The rod which Moses used in this world was shaped... Uh, and engraved in the image of this scepter and they had a picture of it and it was basically it had like a sapphire on it and it was like it was like a beautiful scepter but i think one of the things we have to remember number one if you think about where the people were they were in egypt and one of the most important artifacts of egyptology is the scepter of the pharaoh mm-hmm. okay that that mm-hmm. scepter that he had shows power and he was over a people and strong and god took a stick I think yeah. that's the yeah. point here of God. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Is that God can employ what He has into anything to overcome anything in your life?
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I would have missed that, but that makes sense symbolically. Sure. Yeah,
0: symbolically. Yes. There's a lot of things, you know. So, here's a funny question for you, AJ. Do you believe that the uh, the Red Sea miracle actually happened? Yes. You do. Yes. Okay. Um, do you believe that that staff turned into a snake? Not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that we pick is, and not choose. Not as yeah. a yes, Why yeah. do we pick and choose? Like to me, it's like, hmm, it, it might be easier to cross the Red Sea than it would be for it to become a snake. I struggle with those same things. Like I look at them and I'm like, like I, I, I believe in God and I believe and I know what I like feel in my heart and the things that I have. But if I'm thinking about this
1: snake, you know, this, I mean, obviously, r- even early Jews struggled with this because. What we just talked about, why does that exist if people weren't sitting around like, mm, you know, <laughs> like why Why that, that explanation exists for a reason? Yeah. Because people needed that explained. Yeah. Something absolutely. about that was like, oh, that feels diff- off. Yeah. I think the
0: weird part to me is that the Egyptian magicians could do it. Yeah, that's the part that struck well, me. That, that's that's
2: the part of that story that makes me kind of question it a little bit. Plus, I feel like that whole situation was kind of like Moses and Pharaoh going back and forth, like mine's bigger than yours, type yeah. Of thing, and I didn't see God kind of intervening there, just them kind of make themselves feel a little bigger than what they actually are <laughs> yeah. at the time, you know, right. But like the the parting of the Red Sea, though, to me, I felt like that was God sensing that His people their their faith might have been kind of wavering then, mm-hmm. and may I, I, maybe I need to show them a little something right now mm-hmm. to pull these people back in.
0: Yeah, I mean that, and you could apply that today. Don't we see yeah. people that go through those kinds of things? Mm-hmm. You know, we I know of a person. Uh, a young woman died of an o- overdose and it's changed a young man's life completely. Yeah.
1: How does that not?
0: Right. And so we have things, you know, in our world that, you know, those things will happen, you know. I don't know. So, that brings us to the end of the Rod of Moses. You know, unless there's any other questions that you have, I don't really have any more. No. So, the other one that he brought up, which I think is interesting, is Jesus walking on water. Why? Like
1: it was a why? showy move.
0: It's definitely a showy <laughs> move, but why? Like I was trying to think of it from like a theological point,
1: uh-huh. but
0: also like okay, it seems like everything that Jesus did there was always the physical thing that happened, but the spiritual thing you would learn from it. It's all, you know what I mean? Like um to raise someone from the dead, physically we saw we see that he does that with Lazarus and the widow of Nain's son and the daughter of Jairus. But it's also in a spiritual world. It's also the resurrection, that the future resurrection, right, of the soul, and how he has the power over death and things like that. But the walking on water always kind of like, hmm, uh-huh. what is the point? Funny, him? I
1: never thought about it that way. That's interesting.
2: I didn't until he mentioned it to yeah.
1: me. I was, yeah. You know, what are well, we yeah, teaching? What are we teaching here? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it the like the theological point. Well, I kind of knew that the walking on water was a miracle, like, wow, like Jesus can walk on water. And so obviously he's able to do things that are supernatural and uh, he's showing that he is, you know, like God, however, or is God. However, um, when I decided to go back and read the scriptures, I had this little verse that popped up and it's awesome. I love how the scripture does this. Do you remember how we studied uh, the temple and how, uh, or in the Olivet Discourse, if you remember that whenever matthew's describing it and said when you see the abomination that causes desolation you know you standing in the holy place you know the time is near but if you read it in luke it says and when you see armies surrounding jerusalem you know the time is near uh-huh. so then that tells you that the abomination of desolation is the armies yeah that's what it tells you and so sometimes there'll be one or two verses in a different gospel that kind of it's the primer to understanding the overall scheme of what's going on here. Same thing with Jesus walks on water. I, I didn't know it. I just learned it today. It's so awesome, though. And I was just searching. And so in in Mark chapter six, uh, I'm going to read the account of when he walks on water, um, and then I'm going to say the one verse at the end, and that is the key to it. So it says, um, "We'll it's be in Mark chapter six, verse forty-five, and straightway." Uh, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when when evening had come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, right in the middle of it, and he alone on the land. So all of his disciples are on the ship out in the middle of the sea, and he's over here in the land." It says, and he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's at around 3 a.m., is when it starts, uh, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. There's a unique thing about passing by them right here that I want to pick up on. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed that it had been a spirit. And cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up into the ship and the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, right? But listen closely. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened, That last line. So first of all, here we are. They're out, they're struggling. These are fishermen that know the sea. They are in trouble. They're toiling with the water. They can't figure it out. So in the book of Mark, it says that he was about to pass them by. Well, that's old language. When he says it is I, he is saying I am He's saying the same thing that God said to Moses when Moses said, when I go to get your people out, who do I tell them that you are? And he says, tell them, I am that I am. So when he said, it is I, it's the same word as the I am. Yeah. And he's about to pass them by. And there's a moment whenever um, God will show himself and he will pass by a prophet and he's showing his, you know, his glory. Right. He's showing his back, right? You see that. So that's kind of alluding to that. Like it's sort of showing you that Christ and God are one and the same, but he's a man. Kind of like the the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus like, you know, glows like and all that. So at this point, they're terrified and he says, Be of good cheer. It is I, I am, be not afraid. So he goes up to them and he calms this this all down. And then he it says for they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. Do you know what that means? Is it kind of saying that they couldn't see the miracle because their hearts were Yes. So hardened? Do you know what the miracle of the loaves is? No. It's the feeding of the 5000. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna read that so that we can get this in context. We need that story to get it in context. And I think it's uh, in Matthew 14. So let me go to Matthew 14, 32. I'm gonna switch to the ESV because I just understand it better. And uh, 14, 22 in the ESV, here we are. All right, so before... Now, we'll start in verse 13. This is a Matthew 14, verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from here in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So these people have been out here all day. They're starving. Send them back out. Let them get some food. We're gonna rest. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. In the other gospels, it's a little boy that has a sack lunch. He's basically like fish sandwiches. Mm -hmm. He's got five loaves and two fish, it says. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. Okay? But listen to this next verse. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So So that means it's more than 5,000. It means it could be as many as 15 to Mm 20,000. One man, one wife, and two kids. Yeah. So you see what I mean? But here's the point. How many basketfuls of the broken pieces did they pick up? I said twelve, right? How many disciples are there? Twelve. The, who's the lesson for? The disciples. Yes. So the dis- the disciples are getting the lesson when he was like, "Your faith is able to do things that you're not used to in this world." That's what we're saying, and they don't know it. Their hearts are hard. They don't. They don't get it. They still haven't got it. So he's got these basketfuls, right? Now you're looking. At, imagine holding the basket, looking at all this stuff, and you're a disciple. Put yourself in there. Audience yeah. relevance. Yeah. How's that? Guy? Like. <sighs> What? <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. That's a lot of fish sandwiches, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and how, how are you going to get that many fish sandwiches in 12 baskets?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And if you think about it, this this little this little boy gave what he had, and Christ used it and took care of everyone. He's the master.
1: When we say fish sandwiches, what we're probably talking about is a piece of fish on a piece of bread. That's no. exactly yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, yeah.
0: So then in the in this same in this same gospel if you look at it now we're going to go on it says immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds and after he had dismissed the crowds he went up on the mountain by himself to pray so here we are again this is where he's on land and they're on water when evening came he was there alone but the boat by this time was a long way from the land according to mark it was right in the middle of it middle of the the sea um it's beaten by the waves for the wind was against them and in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were terrified and said it's a ghost and they cried out in fear but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying take heart it is I do not be afraid Now here's something a little new okay remember what i said that said in the other one they they did not understand the miracle of the loaves And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, "Truly, you are the Son of God." So, if we put these two gospels together, now you can see that there are a lot of lessons that are coming to these men. They're learning things about faith. This is this is when they're learning these lessons, because after Jesus leaves, that same Peter is the one that stands up and preaches the gospel, and three thousand people are saved. They're all speaking in tongues. Have you ever heard that story? I love that story. Uh-uh. God comes in and they, they're they able to speak in other languages and they go out there and they start preaching the gospel. And they're like, all the people in there are like, man, you guys are drunk. <laughs> I mean, they say that. Like, you guys are out here babbling, drunk. And Peter stands up and he says, brethren, we're not drunk. It's only nine a.m. and I thought he's never been to California, oh, yeah. like like he doesn't know what <laughs> or that's Miami like. Beach. Or Miami <laughs>
1: Beach, <laughs> don't need to go that far,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. So, but he was like men, you know, men and brethren. These guys aren't drunk. It's nine in the morning. These are the things that were fulfilled by the prophet Joel in these last days. So now all of a sudden, Peter's talking about in these last days, your men are going to be able to prophecy and they're going to be able to, they're going to dream dreams and they're going to be able to speak in other languages and all this stuff's happening. So Peter has now got his position. So these things about when Jesus is walking on water, there's so much more to it than he's just walking on water. He's actually elevating Peter. Peter, according to the Bible, if anybody's ever walked on water, you can, whether you believe it or not. According to the Bible, there's only two men that ever have done it, Jesus and Peter. And by the well, way- I didn't know Peter did it. That's right. No, oh. Peter walked on the water, but then when he saw the storm, he fell. So let's put that into a theological lesson. Put into a theological lesson.
2: Just so you know, that just changed my whole outlook on that story. I've never heard that part about Peter
0: Yeah, actually walking on the water. So he's the only other man yeah. that did it. And Peter is the leader of the church. Peter is the first man to ever call Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the one that Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. A lot of people think it's Peter, but it's actually what he said, that he's the Christ, because he's the Christ, he's gonna build it on it. So Peter is walking on the water and he sees the wind. You can't see the wind. He saw the effect of the wind. He saw the turmoil. So the, the Like, the lesson here is that with faith, you can do impossible things, but if you take your eyes off the master and you look at the problem, you'll sink. Yeah, then you get in, sploosh, or whatever. Exactly. So, there's the lesson to be learned from that. So, if you take that and apply that to your life, this is one of those applicable things. When you think about it, when you have a a mountain, like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to make my mortgage. The answer is not write a check to Joel Osteen because he's not (laughs) going to help you. That's not going to work for you. You put your trust in God and you say, what can I do? And you might be surprised. I've had this moment in my own life, people. I can give you a testimony right now. I did not know where the next meal was coming from. I didn't know what to do. And I got a phone call and I got a job and I walked in and I could work. And I, that, I just, I got the job.
1: Yeah. you yeah, know that kind of timing.
0: That yeah. kind of timing is what makes it feel like it's more than just a, a coincidence to yeah. me. Because I'm praying, I've got to feed my family. I'm in tears, man. Mm-hmm. You know I've how been it feels there. like? Yeah, I've you ever there. had to be like, how am I going to pay this light bill? Like, they're going to turn off my lights. Dude, I have come home and my lights are off. I'm like, how do I cut that thing off so I can reconnect this, you know? How, what am I going to do? And I, you know... And so what did God do? He taught me how to manage my money. Yeah,
2: that, that's yeah, the thing.
0: Yeah. You'll, I learned my lesson,
2: right? You'll hear people in that situation, and you'll tell them, you know, give it to God. You know, let God handle it. But yeah. a lot of people, once they, they do that or they mentally decide to do that, it's like, okay, I don't have to do anything anymore. God's going to handle it. Right. But to me, it, it that's not that's not the case, I let God handle it, but I let God show me how to handle it. How to handle it. Yeah, sure. Right. It's not just, I'm not just going to go and sit on my hands and, you know, I'm going to get that blessing that I was hoping for. Yeah. The (laughs)
0: Apostle Paul says a man that will not work will not eat. No, that's biblical. (laughs) So it's like, you know, if somebody says, well, let God handle it, it doesn't mean like get up, drive to the nearest church and say, give me some money. Like that's not what we're talking about. It's like going to God and saying, okay, God, I'm in this situation. Either A, it was brought on outside of my control, or B, I made a mistake and I did it. Either way, you can bring that to him and say, mm-hmm. "This is where I'm at. Show me what to do." And and I can't say every case he's answered me in that regard. I can't say that. That's not realistic. No. But down the line, somewhere things would happen, and I would recall the prayer that I had, and I think, "Wow, awesome. I had to learn all these things just to be able to understand how you answered the prayer mm-hmm. to me." It's so odd. I love it. I love that about you yeah. know my relationship with God. But um, but at the same time, yes. If he gives you a job, you better go to work, be on time, be dressed and ready, do your job.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't mean that money's going to literally fall from the sky.
0: No. Now in and there are moments when I've heard I, I I knew this woman and she was she had children and she didn't have money for groceries. And I remember you know, thinking to myself, man, like I, I wish I could help. And then she called me later that night, and she said that somebody had put groceries on her porch mm-hmm. and doesn't know who did it. Mm-hmm. So we give glory to God. We don't know who it was that did it, but somebody heard the yeah. need and met the need, right? Yep. And so, I mean, God can make the devil bring those groceries. I mean, whatever, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I've seen it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's been pretty good. Well, I think that's gonna end... <sighs> Today's episode... I think that was a good one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. And I, AJ, I want you to be a consistent special guest on okay. here. So is that good? Oh, yeah. I'm putting you on the website. Consistent special guest, but I am calling you Uncle AJ.
1: <laughs> You're my uncle.
0: He's my uncle, man. Uncle AJ and Aunt Joan. So thank you for being here. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I learned man. a lot today. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a yeah. lot of fun, mm-hmm. man. And, and do that. like give Give some time. Just take a minute. And this is for all listeners. And Andy. (laughs) No, seriously, pick up the book itself. The God that we all talk about, if you're ever going to learn about God, here's how you find him. He's revealed in these pages. Now, listen, if you don't believe in God or not, it does not matter. I was an atheist. It doesn't matter. The God that the Jewish people are talking about and the Christians are talking about are coming out of this Bible. That's the basis of their God. So, when I was trying to prove it wrong and trying to find all the loopholes for myself and I started digging, that's when I discovered this is how he revealed himself. It was through people, but these people recorded these things down. And the more and more you read it, these things will pop out at you and you'll, you'll begin to understand, but you got to give it some time. And so, I have, you know, <laughs> one of my managers, I told him, I said, listen, here's your job. After you do your job, at the end of the day, I'm asking you, please read one chapter of the Bible. Read one chapter in the Gospel of Mark. Just read it. That's part of your job, you know, because, I mean, he's a believer. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that I yep. would say, you have to read yeah. the Bible or you're fired. Sure, no, sure. he's a believer. Yeah. He believes in Jesus, you know, but I just said, read it, because he'd never really read it. And I was like, just read it, you know? And he came to me and he's like, I can't understand these, these words, like, adventure and all this stuff. And I was like, all right. The King James Version, they say, is meant for somebody in the third grade, Yes, in 1600, but not now. Like our, our kids can't read that language. We need some help. They're not going to be able to search Strong's Concordance or open up a dictionary every time you're trying to read a verse.
1: Sure, it's just going to make it. It's just going to make the experience miserable.
0: No, so I say yes. I love the King James Version. I can read it. I've studied it. I can. But when my listeners can't understand it, I'm talking in modern English so that you can hear me. Feel free to go and look, but it's a. You have to study a long time to understand the King James Version. And again, I love it. It's a beautifully written book, and I I enjoy it. But I've also read it for thirty years, right? So anyway well again, Andy thanks for being here. Thank you. so much fun and uh, AJ' we'll, uh, we'll get you on the schedule man. I'm gonna, oh, yeah. we're yep. gonna we're gonna Looking do this once a it. month or yep. once twice a month or something we're gonna do something. be really good. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. Uh, you're going to be hearing the book of Esther. We're going to be doing a study on that. It should be coming out here in about three weeks, and we're very excited. We got some really cool, cool stuff. It's one of two books in the Bible that never mentions God, and God never speaks.
1: Oh, really? Yes. That's interesting.
0: However, I'm going to be teaching you about how God's name was hidden in the Hebrew, and that's the only way you would see it. It's so cool. It's yeah, Hebrew is
1: an interesting language, apparently. Oh, written, were... The written language is apparently like pretty neat.
0: Yes, and it's... Number one, those writers, they were brilliant. Oh, it's a beautiful language. I wish I could speak it, but there's a lot of hock in the <laughs> and I can't do it. I haven't studied it enough, but I want to learn it. I do. I think it's great. But anyway, well, thanks again for listening to the Burroughs of Berea. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. I didn't write this down. See, that's where my notes really come in
1: handy. Just you can get to things. Faster. I have it right there yeah. and I
0: just pop in on it. But this one, I, I got to
1: read that novel you sent. Oh, dude! <laughs> to, to both those emails, yeah. Exactly. So I usually at least skim them, so, but, but I haven't gotten to those two yet. So yeah, so so maybe the maybe the extra time is uh, needed for me. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Ugh, that sucked, though.
0: It happens, man. I get it.
1: It wasn't as bad. It doesn't sound like it was as bad as yours, but it was. It was not fun.
0: Right. Maybe it's in Mark or six. Let's see. <clears throat>
1: Have you AJ? Have you had the pleasure of COVID yet? Oh yeah, yeah, you did. How the was it? How was it for Christmas,
2: you? Uh, for the first three days, I just swore I was dying.
1: Really, it was yeah. that bad, yeah. huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I had I had one very one bad day where you know I had my my fever was like a hundred and I was freezing. You know, full clothes in mm-hmm. the bed under the blankets, still like. Ugh. I experienced
2: that. But it would be just the front side and my backside would just be blazing hot. (laughs) So I'd have to lay on our cold leather couch with no shirt on, with my little camper heater sitting in front of me. It made no sense. And I still didn't understand it, but it made me feel better.
1: It doesn't make, and that disease does not make sense. I realized when I got it. uh, The thing that got me, not everybody gets is, you know, so I was like, my symptoms went away after like two, you know, a day and a half, really. Yeah. The worst stuff was one day. But the f- damn fatigue. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. i get up and i just like putter about for an hour and not do anything. Just putter. Yes. And then, then you got to lay down. <laughs> Wild. I've never felt like that in my whole life. Mm-hmm. Never had that sort of fatigue. It was really just Tuesday was my first day uh, where I didn't, where I wasn't like massively f- fatigued like no. that. Mm-hmm. It went on. Long, you know, almost full seven days. And I started looking it up. I was like, some people experience that fatigue for two to three weeks, some even longer on that mm-hmm. long COVID stuff. But I was just like, oh God, I cannot, I can't live like this. Yeah. It's terrible. All right. Let's jump back in this. All so, right. um,